On July 14, 1881, gunfire shattered the stillness of the quiet town of Fort Sumner, New Mexico. Word quickly spread that the notorious outlaw Billy the Kid had been shot down at the hands of the brave sheriff of Lincoln County, Pat Garrett. This night became the defining moment of Pat Garrett's life, and it catapulted him to international fame. The newspapers celebrated the idea that Billy the Kid was dead and good citizens everywhere breathed a sigh of relief that the scourge of the Southwest was gone. And yet, that's not all there is to the story. From the very beginning, there were rumors that Pat Garrett had shot the wrong man. People would say that instead of killing Billy the Kid, Pat had actually killed an innocent Mexican. Now, my goal today is not to prove to you that that's true, but only share with you some information as to why it actually may be possible. So I'm going to take a minute to point out in detail the many irregularities that bring suspicion on Pat Garrett's claim that he killed Billy the Kid. And I'd like to start with the first official validation of Garrett's claim by the state of New Mexico. You see, on February 18, 1882, seven months after the shooting, the state legislature passed a special act to reward Pat Garrett for killing Billy the Kid. The basis for their action, other than the fact that Pat Garrett said so, was that he had submitted a coroner's jury report written in Spanish. In their view, this report constituted enough evidence for them to officially act, and the act was passed granting Garrett the reward money. But there was just one problem. For some unknown reason, they said in this official act that Garrett had killed Billy the Kid, quote, on or about August of 1881, end quote. Not July 14th, and not July anything, but on or about August of 1881. Now, to me, that seems a little bit odd, especially because of the fact that the basis for them meeting together as a legislative body and passing this act in the first place was a single two-paragraph coroner's jury report that clearly said it was written on July 15th and that the shooting happened a day earlier. So why any one of them, as they're working through the language for this special act, would say, ah, let's just call it August. It doesn't make any sense to me. To me, and this is just me talking, I would think that this would be like the Warren Commission report coming out on November 23rd, the day after Kennedy was killed, and saying in that report that they have confirmed that President Kennedy was killed on or about the month of December. It just makes no sense. I mean, was it really that hard to nail down July 14th, 1881 as the date for when Garrett killed the kid, when it was clearly written on the single piece of evidence that they were using as the basis for their official action? Well, apparently it was. But is there any logical reason as to why they would wing it and come up with the date of on or about August of 1881? It just seems a little bit odd. But then, if we're honest about it, everything about the night that Pat Garrett claimed to have killed Billy the Kid is odd. Now, of course, the modern version of the Santa Fe ring would have you believe that there is nothing odd about it at all. In fact, they would say that until very recently, no one ever questioned Pat Garrett's story and that everything he did that night, he did perfectly by the book. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but that is a lie, and I'm going to share some information with you that is in the public record that will expose that lie for what it is. First of all, let's address what I have said publicly for years, and that is my opinion that the only evidence that Pat Garrett killed the kid is because he said so. Yes, we do have a copy of the coroner's jury report that seven other people signed, and notice please I said copy. 
We do not have the original because it was never recorded in the official record, which has led a lot of people to say that it was never accepted as a legitimate legal document. More recently, critics have tried to say that those that doubt Garrett deny that he obtained a coroner's jury report, but that is not really our contention. He probably did get something, and we are told what the newspapers of the day said that it said we can be confident in because they said so. But regardless, the contention is not that a coroner's jury never existed. The contention is that it was recognized as BS from the get-go. Now, I personally don't doubt that what the newspaper said the coroner's report said is accurate. I understand why people may take that position, and it is true that the Santa Fe Ring had significant control of the New Mexico press in the 1880s. If they wanted something published, it got published. Like the time they branded Special Agent Frank Angel as corrupt, or like the many times when they told many lies about Billy the Kid. So, the fact that the newspapers published what they claim to be the text of the coroner's jury report in the paper does not guarantee that's what it really said. But personally, I can accept it anyway. But being published in the paper and being officially recorded is not the same thing. And what you're going to see over and over in this case is not at all a by-the-book process. What you'll see is a lot of workarounds and backdoor maneuvering to control the narrative. The coroner's jury report was not accepted, so they go to the papers and they pushed it there. But contrary to what people will tell you, it is very odd that the coroner's jury report was not recorded with all the similar documents of that era that were recorded. As a matter of fact, the Justice of the Peace that supposedly signed that document didn't even record it in his logbook despite the fact that it was his second inquest of the day, and he logged the first one. And then, of course, there was the issue that Pat Garrett was denied the reward money. We're going to get into all of that. But for now, let's settle the fact that the official copy of the report was never filed. It wasn't. It is what it is. Does that prove that it wasn't a legitimate document? Well, it kind of does. If it's not recorded, it's not official. Again, I'm not saying it never existed, because it likely did exist. We just don't really know what it said. And even if we give Pat Garrett a pass and accept what we were told it said, that doesn't really change the reality of what happened. It should have been recorded, and this is a real problem for anyone that says that this matter was handled completely by the book with no irregularities. That is absolutely not true. In fact, the coroner's jury report has been such a problem for those that support Garrett that they have lied about it for at least 70 years. In the 1950s, Colonel Maurice Fulton, who was the custodian of the Lincoln County Courthouse, was losing an argument with William Vincent Morrison, about the recording of the document when he decided to put this to rest once and for all. So, Fulton went inside the courthouse to get the original document that he claimed was on file there. Well, he came out a little bit later, not with the original coroner's jury report, but with the photocopy that he claimed he had just made. And he literally said to Mr. Morrison, Look, here's a copy I made, and you can tell it's not fake because the signatures on it all have different handwriting." That is literally a quote for what Colonel Fulton said to Mr. Morrison when he produced for the very first time a supposed official copy of the original that was in the records. Now, you may ask why he would need to point out the different signatures as authentication when supposedly he had the original right inside the courthouse. Wouldn't you say if it was you, hey, I just made this copy, and if you don't believe me, come on inside, I'll show you the original. What you probably wouldn't say is, you can tell it's not fake because the handwriting is different in all the signatures. But that's what he said. 
Regardless, the truth is the original was not then and is not now in that courthouse in the official records, and he knew that as well as anyone. He was willing to lie to win an argument with Mr. Morrison. By the way, this is the same Maurice Fulton that is said to have drilled the fake hole in the stairwell of the Lincoln County Courthouse to attract tourists by saying it was a bullet hole made by the kid's bullet when he killed Bell. I only mention that to show what kind of people we're dealing with. These are people that will say and do anything to push their agenda, and they are very dishonest, even today. But I digress. We were talking about the New Mexico State Legislature, and I want to explain why they had to pass a special act to get Garrett the reward money. You see, Governor Lou Wallace had made a public proclamation of reward for the capture of Billy the Kid on December the 15th, 1880. So, when Pat Garrett came in from Fort Sumner in the summer of 1881 with a written statement saying he had killed the kid, he requested that he get paid. Unfortunately for him, he was not paid, and his request for the reward was denied. Then came the workaround. When his Santa Fe ring buddies in the legislature passed their special act to pay him, they attempted to explain why he wasn't paid in the first place, saying that the reason he wasn't paid was because the original offer from December of 1880 was a private offer made by the former governor and therefore not binding on the state. Now, my opinion is that that is the dumbest fake cover story that I have ever heard, and I'll tell you why I think that. But first, I want to share that I think there's actually two reasons why Garrett may not have been paid. The first reason is that the state didn't think he had enough evidence that he had actually killed Billy the Kid, which is how most people that doubt he killed the kid look at it, and I do think that's a possibility. The second, however, is that, again, in my opinion, I don't believe that Garrett was eligible for the reward for acts committed while conducting his official duties as sheriff. Remember, Garrett had actually captured the kid once before at Stinking Springs, and that capture occurred just eight days after the offer of reward was made. What's more, Garrett kept the kid in custody in the Lincoln County Jail for five months after that, until April the 28th, 1881, when Billy the Kid escaped. Even if someone wants to argue that Garrett as sheriff was eligible the first time he caught the kid at Stinking Springs, I think you're going to have a hard time convincing anyone that he was eligible the second time when he supposedly killed the kid in Fort Sumner, because the only reason the kid was able to be in Fort Sumner is because he escaped from Garrett's custody. So are you telling me that the state of New Mexico is going to reward a sheriff for recapturing a prisoner that he let escape to begin with? That just doesn't make much sense. So, I don't know of any evidence that would indicate that Garrett was eligible for the reward, and I think he knew it because he never applied for it after he caught the kid at Stinking Springs. Apparently, the new governor, who took office on March the 10th, 1881, also didn't think he was eligible because Garrett didn't get paid. And I don't believe for a minute the ridiculous story that it was a technicality. This is a state where the legislature uses as evidence a sworn statement made in July for a killing in August, a month after the statement was written. These people are hardly sticklers for details. So why would Garrett request a reward this time when he didn't request it the first time? Well, my personal opinion is that the Santa Fe ring was well aware that giving Garrett the reward money would put the power of the state behind his claim that he had killed Billy the Kid. And that is exactly how it is used by their supporters even today. They say that Garrett was paid by the state in an official act, which means that the state was convinced that Garrett killed the kid. 
It's a nice workaround, but we just talked about that evidence, which was a single unrecorded document with a couple of paragraphs written in Spanish on it that can't be found and that the legislature couldn't even quote correctly. So we don't even really know what it said. So to say that this official act of the state proves that Garrett killed Billy the Kid is not really legitimate. But let's be fair. The question of motive and evidence is always going to come up when money is involved. This isn't peculiar to Pat Garrett. It's just that he did an extremely poor job of documenting his kill. I think generally speaking, when there's money on the line, it's normal to make sure that things are in order. For this reason, regardless of what anyone says to the contrary, it was common for death photos of outlaws to be taken. And people can rationalize, and I'm sure maybe come up with some valid reasons why taking a photo couldn't be done. But if that were true, wouldn't you go to great lengths to make sure that you did everything you possibly could to prove that you killed a famous outlaw? If you couldn't bring the body back, or get a photo of the body, which I think is frankly hard to believe, because I actually think, based on what I know about the character of Pat Garrett, he would have wrapped that body up in a rug as tight as a gordita and brought it back to Lincoln if that's what it took to get that reward. But he didn't do any of that. But if you're not going to do any of that, why not at least get signed statements from your own deputies? Garrett had two deputies on the porch that saw what happened, and those deputies didn't speak Spanish. So they couldn't read what the coroner's jury said. It could have said anything. Why not get their statements in English? Why not get Pete Maxwell's statement? He was a prominent citizen. Instead, Garrett did the bare minimum. And even then, there are a lot of problems with what he got, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But it is what it is. And at the time, it was Garrett's call as to what he wanted to do at that point. And that's fine. That said, someone in his position is going to have to understand that if you don't do a complete job, there's going to be people that may not believe you. And that's exactly what happened to Pat Garrett. He was denied the reward money for killing the kid, and a lot of people, including people in Fort Sumner, did not think he killed Billy the Kid. At the end of the day, whether you choose to believe Garrett got the kid that night or not, it doesn't change the facts of the case. And the facts are that there were many irregularities and also a lot of evidence that things in Fort Sumner may not have gone down the way that Pat Garrett claimed they went down. And honest people will acknowledge that and deal with it honestly and not lie about it. So Garrett's request for the reward money is rejected, which means it then becomes necessary for his sponsors, the Santa Fe Ring, to pass a special act of the legislature to get him the money. And for them to come up with a stupid cover story, it was a technicality. The newspapers, as they always did, ran with the information that they were given and said that Garrett had killed the kid in Fort Sumner. And yet, the early versions of the story reflect the chaos that was Garrett's inconsistent story, and the newspapers are filled with references to the kid being disguised as a Mexican, many saying that he was even staining his skin brown. This was apparently a real issue early on that was so big of an issue that Garrett himself had to address it in his 1882 book, The Authentic Life of Billy the Kid. In that book, he includes an explanation of why everyone thought he had shot a dead Mexican instead of Billy the Kid. Again, he's the one that brought it up and thought it was important enough to explain in his book so that you would have confidence that there was no mistake. Garrett shares with us, quote, Maxwell had plunged over the foot of the bed onto the floor, dragging the bedclothes with him. I went to the door and met Poe and McKinney there. 
Maxwell rushed past me out on the porch, and they threw their guns down on him. When he cried, don't shoot, don't shoot, I told my companions I had gotten the kid. They asked me if I had not shot the wrong man, and I told them that I had made no blunder, that I knew the kid's voice too well to be mistaken. The kid was entirely unknown to either of them. They had seen him pass in, and as he stepped on the porch, McKinney, who was sitting, rose to his feet, and one of his spurs caught under the boards and nearly threw him. I don't know what this has to do with anything, by the way. The kid laughed, but probably saw their guns as he drew his revolver and sprang into the doorway as he hailed, Who comes there? Seeing a bareheaded, barefooted man in his shirt sleeves with a butcher knife in his hand and hearing his hail in excellent Spanish, they naturally supposed him to be a Mexican and an attache of the establishment, hence their suspicion that I had shot the wrong man. So there you go. Let's ignore for now the fact that Garrett just confirmed that he shot at a voice in the dark with his deputies in the line of fire behind his target. Let's also ignore the fact that Garrett is describing what happened on the porch in detail when he supposedly wasn't aware of the kid until he entered Maxwell's bedroom. And let's also ignore the fact that his story doesn't jive at all with what Deputy John Poe says in his book. Let's ignore all of that for now and let's stay focused on Garrett's reasoning as to why his own deputies thought he had killed the wrong man. In his book, Garrett says that people thought he killed a Mexican because the victim was, now listen carefully, bareheaded, barefooted, in shirt sleeves, with a butcher knife that spoke excellent Spanish. Boom. There you go. The perfect disguise if you want to look Mexican. Don't wear a hat. Don't wear shoes. Wear a t-shirt and carry a butcher knife. The next time I go to Mexico, if I can put that wardrobe together and also, this is very important, also get to the point where I can say Guinness in perfect Spanish, they'll never know I'm a gringo. Think about that for a minute. That is literally the explanation that Garrett gives as to how you can be confident he didn't shoot a Mexican. I didn't write this. This is his book. This is a topic he thinks is important enough to address, and that's how he addresses it. That's how lame of an excuse he uses that the dude said KNS in perfect Spanish. Now, before you say I'm taking it out of context, let's accept that the deputies were momentarily confused by the fact that a person they saw coming in to the porch was wearing, let's just say, no identifiable clothing. Shirt sleeves. No shoes, no hat, carrying a butcher knife. Okay, there's nothing really there to identify clothing-wise. So let's say they saw the person wearing no identifiable clothing, and that person said KNS in Spanish. So they were briefly fooled into thinking that he was a Mexican, when really it was Billy the Kid. Okay, so they saw him briefly on the porch. They spoke to him in English. He responded in Spanish. So they thought he was a Mexican. That's totally understandable. However, after the shooting, and after speaking to Pat Garrett and to Pete Maxwell, they realized their mistake and understood it's not a Mexican, it's Billy the Kid. Got it. Okay, let's say we accept that. If all that is true, then why did the newspapers say the body looked like a dead Mexican with a beard? Why did they say the kid had stained his skin brown? Literally stained his skin brown. That's a little bit more 
then he just spoke Spanish and wore a t-shirt. That description of the body came from somewhere, and that tells me that the body looked like a dead Mexican with a beard and not Billy the Kid. A dead Mexican. Seventy years later, when the entire world had forgotten about these early newspaper articles, Brushy Bill Roberts was asked, if Garrett didn't kill you, who did he kill? And Brushy Bill said he killed a Mexican friend of mine that was about the same size as me, but he was Mexican and he had a beard. Now, how in the world would Roberts know that? Those articles were long gone back then, and he didn't have the internet. If he was Oliver Roberts, born 1879, he was two years old when those articles came out. And they, again, were long gone by the time he was old enough to have heard about them. So there's something here that's worthy of scrutiny. And if we choose to question this and dig deeper, then I guess we have to ask, how would Garrett pass off a Mexican as the kid when you have all these people around? So, just as the Santa Fe ring people opine as to why a photo wasn't taken, I think we can opine as to how Garrett could have passed off a dead Mexican as Billy the Kid. And I think there's a lot of possible ways. For many years, and again, this is in the newspapers in the 1800s, there were stories that Garrett, who was known to carry a shotgun, had shot the kid in the face from ambush. Now, I'm not saying that's true. It is in the newspapers. But if it was true... What would that have done to the ability of people to recognize the body? But regardless, even if it was a single ball to the breast like the coroner's report said, and the body was pristine, dead bodies don't always look the same as living people. And it is certainly possible that a lot of people believe that the kid was shot because they were told that, or even that the dead person looked similar to Billy the Kid. Similar, but not the same. They had to come up with an excuse as to why his skin was so brown and why he had a beard, so they claimed he was in disguise. I actually believe, based on the existing records, that that's what happened. I think in the beginning, they tested the excuse that the kid was disguised, and they modified their story over time. By the time Garrett wrote his book, they had pretty much moved on from the issue, but there was still some suspicion out there that he needed to address, so he addressed it the way that I just shared with you. But as we said, his answer makes no sense at all. Dude was in a t-shirt and said Kianes, so of course they thought he was Mexican. Now, even if you are the most pro-Santa Fe ring person in the world, if you go back and read all of the first-hand accounts, if you look at the timelines of when the witnesses say things happened, if you do any primary research whatsoever, you will find that this story has more holes in it than the body of John Tunstall. To say there were no irregularities or contradictions, you would have to be insane or dishonest. So let's look a little deeper into the reality of the times and how Fort Sumner operated. I want to share an article with you from 1879, two years before the shooting, titled A New Mexican Town. The article is about Fort Sumner and states that the Maxwell family, by virtue of the Maxwell land grant, effectively owned the town. The article reads as follows, quote, Fort Sumner has lost much of its former glory, but is still an attractive place. A broken flagstaff and a solitary cannon alone mark the parade ground. The commissary building has degenerated into the habitation of an old Negro washerwoman, and the adjutant general's office is occupied as a storeroom and post office by Messrs. Garrett and Smith, the former an old buffalo hunter, the latter the greatest beaver hunter of the Southwest. Now, obviously, that's Pat Garrett well before he became uh, sheriff of Lincoln County. 
There's another store here kept by a Mexican, who, in consequence of seldom keeping anything to sell, has but little patronage. The population of the place is probably 200 souls, the inhabitants, with few exceptions, being Mexicans. They all live in homes belonging to the Maxwell estate, and the only recompense they give for the use of those homes is an occasional coat of whitewash. Mrs. Maxwell is a total abstinence woman, and will allow no intoxicating liquors sold in the place. So this is necessarily a temperance town, end quote. Now let me stop right there and point something out. According to this article, if you went into Fort Sumner in 1879, you couldn't buy a drink there. And do you know why? Because Mrs. Maxwell said so. That's the kind of control that the Maxwells had on Fort Sumner. Now, I know all about Beaver Smith Saloon and the Hargrove Saloon, and I'm pretty sure Mrs. Maxwell wouldn't be out to see those places at night, and maybe they were sneaking alcohol or whatever, but according to this reporter, when he was there, it was an abstinence town because of Mrs. Maxwell. Now, you're going to tell me that the people that live in Mr. Maxwell's houses, many of whom work for him, are going to publicly challenge what he says about Pat Garrett killing Billy the Kid. That doesn't seem likely to me. John Poe, one of the deputies with Garrett, also said that Pete Maxwell was scared to death of the kid, saying, quote, Maxwell stood in such terror of him that he did not dare inform against him, end quote. That makes me think that if Garrett wanted to pass off a dead Mexican as the kid, and if the kid was okay with it, that Maxwell wasn't inclined to say a dang thing to the contrary. Logically, then, if Maxwell wasn't going to challenge it, I don't think the townspeople wouldn't either. But let's not forget there's a fallacy that for Garrett to pass off someone else as the kid, the entire town would have to be in on it. That's ridiculous. That's like saying for there to be corruption in government, the whole country would have to be in on it. What a stupid thing to say. Half the town of Fort Sumner, per the census, were children. Roughly half of the remaining half were spouses, probably taking care of the children, and maybe old people. Many of the residents lived outside the town proper, and they all had things to do, meals to make, animals to take care of, etc. There are only about 81 families within a 25-mile radius in the entire area around Fort Sumner. The town proper, if you would call it that, was only about 15 buildings. And those buildings included stables, the store, Maxwell's house, the storeroom, etc. There were not 300 people right there. Also, if you were one of the few people around, you weren't going to barge into Pete Maxwell's house to look at the body without his permission or Garrett's permission. We'll talk about that later, but once Garrett got his coroner's report, I don't think he cared what people said about the body. We actually don't know who even saw the body. But what if they did see the body and didn't think it was Billy the Kid? Who are they going to tell? You couldn't get on the phone and call the FBI. There were no phones and no FBI. So what would happen is the rumors would pass around the countryside that Garrett didn't kill the kid, and that's exactly what did happen. Many families passed down stories that Garrett killed the wrong man that night, and even today, descendants of those families post on our social media accounts that their family always said that Garrett didn't kill the kid. So it's not that everyone had to be in on it, although I do think it's possible that some of them were in on it and were either covering for the kid, or it's also possible that some of them were in on it and were covering for Pat Garrett. But it doesn't mean the entire town was in on it. That's absolutely ridiculous. This is why we look at all the evidence and don't ignore it. Ignoring evidence is a lie by omission, and we shouldn't lie about history or really anything else. 
So the idea that the whole town would have to be in on it is nonsense. But let's continue. The 1879 article says, quote, A Mexican has lately been appointed constable and justice of the peace. On the second day of his judicial authority, there appeared before his honor two Mexicans who had in dispute the ownership of a bull. Court was called, in the shade of some cottonwoods, with the witnesses sitting astride an adobe wall, while his honor rushed around trying to scare up a jury. He summoned old Beaver Smith, but finally let him off on his plea of being a postmaster, or as he termed it, quote, a U.S. official, and not subject to sit on a jury, end quote. However, the vacant seat was soon filled by a greaser, and the trial proceeded. There were no lawyers, but no lack of jabber on that account. The case was finally decided, but who got the bull, I was unable to understand. So here's Fort Sumner in 1879. It's a situation where the Maxwell family runs the town, the Mexicans mind their own business, and they even set up a Mexican justice of the peace just so Maxwell doesn't have to settle disputes with the greasers, as they called them, and in which his wife or mom, whichever, doesn't allow them to drink alcohol in town and for which they couldn't even find enough people to have a trial. They went around and grabbed people off the streets, and some of these people, when they were summoned, said, nah, I'm not coming. And yet, despite these conditions... Modern-day critics have the gall to tell the public that the facts of the shooting of Billy the Kid are airtight and there are no irregularities whatsoever, as if it were a modern case handled in a modern way. They say everything was done by the book, and we can have the utmost confidence that Garrett killed the kid, but it's absolutely not true. There were numerous inconsistencies and irregularities, and anyone can do their own research and find out for themselves. There's even testimony from a member of the coroner's jury himself, Mr. A.P. Paco Anaya. And I want to tell you what he says. But before we do that, let's look at what they tell us the coroner's jury report said. And that says, quote, On this 15th day of July, A.D. 1881, I, the undersigned Justice of the Peace of the above-named precinct, received information that a death had taken place in Fort Sumner, in said precinct. And immediately upon receiving said information, I proceeded to the said place and named Milner Rudolph, Jose Silva, Antonio Saavedra, Pedro Antonio Lucero, Lorenzo Yamarillo, and Sabal Gutierrez a jury to investigate the case. And the above jury convened at the home of Lucien B. Maxwell and proceeded to a room in said house where they found the body of William Bonney alias Kidd. With a shot on the left breast and having examined the body, they examined the evidence of Pedro Maxwell, which evidence is as follows. Quote, I being in my bed, and this is Pete Maxwell talking now. So they did supposedly get a statement. Now they didn't have him sign it, whatever. Quote, I being in my bed in my room at about midnight on the 14th day of July, Pat F. Garrett came into my room and sat on the end of my bed to converse with me. A short while after Garrett had sat down, William Bonney came in and got close to my bed with a gun in his hand and asked me, who is it? Who is it? And then Pat F. Garrett fired two shots at the said William Bonney and the said William Bonney fell near my fireplace and I went out of the room and when I came in again in about three or four minutes after the shots, the said William Bonney was dead, end quote. The jury has found the following verdict. We of the jury unanimously find that William Bonney has been killed by a shot on the left breast near the region of the heart 
The same having been fired with a gun in the hand of Pat F. Garrett, and our verdict is that the deed of said Garrett was justifiable homicide. And we are unanimous in the opinion that the gratitude of all the community is due to the said Garrett for his deed and is worthy of being rewarded. End quote. All right. Now again, ignoring the idea that these seven local Mexicans in Fort Sumner supposedly chose to add to their official death inquest report that Garrett should get the reward money, which is obviously irregular, right? How many death certificates say this guy died from a blow to the head and the sheriff should be rewarded for taking him out? Like, that's not really the point of a official coroner's inquest document, but got it. I mean, come on. But there's a lot of other stuff in the report that could be questioned, like how Pete Maxwell saw a gun in the kid's hand when it was dark in the bedroom and many other things. But let's consider specifically how what is written contradicts the account of Deputy John Poe, who says in his own book that, quote, within a very short time after the shooting, quite a number of the native people gathered around, some of them bewailing the death of their friend. Several women pleaded for permission to take charge of the body, which we allowed them to do. They carried it across the street to a carpenter shop where it was laid out on a workbench. The women placed lighted candles around it according to their idea of a properly conducted wake for the dead. He then goes on to say, quote, This occurred about midnight on July 14, 1881. We spent the remainder of the night on the Maxwell premises keeping constantly on our guard as we expected attack by the friends of the dead man. Nothing of the kind occurred, however. The next morning, we sent for a justice of the peace who held an inquest over the body, the verdict of the jury being such as to justify the killing. Later on, the same day, the body was buried in the old military burying ground in Fort Sumner. End quote. Suppose says to the women, quote, a very short time after the shooting, you take the body, we're going to hunker down here in Pete Maxwell's house until morning, and that's what they did. So where's the body all night? Across the street. And yet, the official coroner's jury verdict says clearly that when the jury came to Maxwell's house, they, quote, proceeded to a room in said house, not across the street. So wait a minute, did they bring the body back from across the street and put it back in Pete's house? Wouldn't that be irregular? These are their very own words and their very own books and documents. Now, a reasonable person is honest about this and accounts for it while making up their own mind. We know a lot of people have different eyewitness accounts of events, and we expect there to be differences. But that's not what the because we said so crowd says. They say that everyone was consistent. There's no irregularities, and no one ever challenged the coroner's report. It's just not true. They say it was all by the book with no irregularities, and they're going to prove it to you case closed. But that's not true. Paco Anaya, who I just mentioned a minute ago was a member of the coroner's jury and said in an April 2nd, 1936 letter to the editor of the New Mexico magazine that he was a member of the New Mexico legislature and also, along with his friends, was called to be members of the coroner's jury in Fort Sumner the night the kid was killed. He wrote that Pat Garrett wrote the original verdict that stated simply that the kid had come to death as a result of a wound from a gun in the hands of Pat Garrett officer. He passed around to Paco Anaya and his friends and asked them to sign it. Anaya then claimed that this verdict was lost and that Garrett had Manuel Abreu write a more flowery one for filing. On this new verdict appeared signatures other than those of Anaya and his friends. Anaya claimed that Milner Rudolph, who signed as president of the jury, was not even a member of the original jury which viewed the body. 
So in other words, according to an original member of the coroner's jury, there were irregularities in the inquest, and Pat Garrett had significant influence over the outcome, which by definition is in itself an irregularity. There were two coroner's juries convened, and Pat didn't like the outcome of the first one, so he convened a second one with some new people that hadn't even seen the body. For that matter, in his book, Garrett guarantees that no one took a finger or other part of the kid's body as a souvenir. How would he know that unless he stayed around until the body was completely buried? If that's true, and he did maintain custody of the body the whole time, how does that jive with the whole town coming out to see it to verify it was Billy the Kid? And how does it jive with Poe's statement that the body was given to the townspeople and they took it from there? Paco Anaya continues in his letter, quote, I have said regarding the opinion of the coroner's jury that Pat himself wrote it and we signed it, but it is not in the registry. Pat lost that paper and then Don Manuel Abreu wrote one for him in Spanish that said Milner Rudolph was president of the jury. I have said before that that is not true and I verify that, end quote. So in other words, what we are told was an independent inquest was not independent at all. A participant in the shooting, Pat Garrett, who clearly had a stake in the outcome of the verdict, wrote the report summarizing the findings of the jury. This makes sense because Garrett himself, in the authentic life of Billy the Kid, has to defend himself against those that say he should have been charged for killing the kid instead of just capturing him. If the people were upset about killing the kid versus capturing the kid, how do you think the people would feel about him killing an innocent Mexican? This was not a cut-and-dried incident by any definition of that term, and Garrett had every motive to manipulate the outcome to his own benefit. So let's recap. The New Mexico legislature didn't know exactly when Garrett supposedly killed the kid, and the date they used contradicts the very supporting document that they used as evidence for their official act. Got it. The Justice of the Peace that conducted the jury and who recorded everything in his logbook, including another inquest that very same day, didn't record this one. Got it. The county didn't record the supposedly official document in their database either. Got it. A member of the original coroner's jury said things didn't happen the way that Garrett said they happened and that the new jury didn't even see the body of Billy the Kid. Got it. The sheriff didn't bother to get statements from anyone else, including his own deputies, or even the guy who owned the house where the person was killed. Got it. And finally, the recorded testimony that we do have of what the sheriff said, the deputy said, what Maxwell said, all contradict each other. Got it. But you should have total confidence it's an open and shut case with no irregularities. I said so. These people are either insane or dishonest. They have to know that's not true. It just doesn't take that much research to get this information. It's in the public domain. So why would people lie to you about it? I don't really have an answer for that because I don't understand it myself. All I know is you can't respect your audience and treat them like they are stupid at the same time. Because we said so is not an acceptable answer. These guys say, I'm going to prove it to you. Then they either give their opinion or just flat out lie about facts. And then they say, see, I proved it. And they take victory laps. I'm sorry. I don't have to believe you because you say so. And you don't have to believe me because I say so. The evidence is there, and you and I can both make up our own minds. If we're respectful with each other and honest about it when you have a point, or maybe I have a point, then we can all learn and get closer to the truth.
this is how the academic process is supposed to work. But there's actually another thing I think is even more insulting than thinking your audience is stupid and lying to them. And that's patronizing them while they do it. I hear people say things like, I know, bro, I wish it were true, man, but it's just, there's just no evidence. Like, I want to believe it's just not true. There's no evidence. It's not just a lie. It's really bad form. It's, it's basically saying that you are so stupid. You're too stupid to realize how stupid you are. That's what you're saying when you're like, I want to believe it, but yeah, it's just not there. Like, you know, sorry, you don't understand. It's just not true. It's really, really insulting in my opinion when someone pretends to be seeking common ground with me while they're lying to my face. The facts of the public record, many of which I just shared with you, is that there's a lot of evidence of irregularities around what happened in Fort Sumner. And ignoring those irregularities is lying by omission. This isn't about what we want to happen. Who cares what we want to happen? That's what fiction is for. You can do all kinds of historical fiction stories. It's great. But that's different from looking at evidence. And when we're looking at evidence, we should only care about the truth. When you ignore evidence because it doesn't fit a narrative that you want to happen, that's the enemy of the truth. Now, I totally understand why some people would believe that Pat Garrett killed Billy the Kid. We're told he had a coroner's jury. All the newspapers said so. And there are people that were there that we are told believed it was the body of Billy the Kid. And then you have the fact that Billy the Kid never showed up again, at least until 1950, if you believe Brushy Bill Roberts. So I don't think you're an idiot if you believe that Pat Garrett killed Billy the Kid. I completely understand it. It's kind of easy to believe that. It's the traditional view. It's safe. But I also understand why many, many, many people back then and now don't believe it or at least have some questions that they want answered. And to say that those people are fools or frauds or hoaxers is completely illegitimate. We have a right to question things that don't make sense, regardless of what other people think is proof. On that point, I'm reminded of the little guy from the Princess Bride movie that goes around saying inconceivable all the time. It's inconceivable. In the movie, every time someone says something he doesn't like, he says it's inconceivable that it could happen, as if him saying so is the final word on the matter. Despite his belief, each and every time he is proven wrong, and the things that he said were inconceivable keep happening. Until finally, about halfway through the movie, his companion says to him, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And this is my position with people that use the word proof improperly. It just doesn't mean what they think it means. I hear these people say, I'm going to prove once and for all, case closed. And then they give an opinion. Now, a lot of that's clickbait, actually. And it's just pretty lame. But I actually find it both funny and tragic at the same time. I think being respectful to your audience requires being clear about what is proof and what is our opinion. Because the word proof doesn't mean what they think it means. Now, back to the original question. Did Pat Garrett really kill Billy the Kid on July 14th? 1881. My personal opinion is maybe. But if you don't believe he did, you're in good company. And there still remains a lot of evidence that should make us continue to dig deeper for answers to this question. As for proof, my opinion continues to be that on the one side, you have the life and legacy of Brushy Bill Roberts, 
with all of that evidence that has been found in the past 70 years. On the other side, you still have Pat Garrett and the Santa Fe ring saying, because we said so. And that is just not a good enough answer for me.